0: Well, welcome everybody. So glad you can be with us here on this uh, this Sunday. Uh, when Karen was, uh, when Karen and I were looking at who's preaching what sermons, we're looking at obviously for this month: uh, hope, joy, hope, peace, joy, and love. And she did hope and peace and joy. And she said, "What do I do with them? Where do I land them?" And she did very well to land all three of them. And then when it came to love, I'm like, this is the most applicable at all. Because the entire thing that we believe as a church is that our whole faith movement is based on love. So if I can't get application out of today's message, I'm doing something wrong. So hopefully today is extremely practical for you. It's extremely helpful for you, whatever part of the journey you may be on. Why don't I pray and we'll get into it. Father God, thank you so much that we can be here. We're able to gather We're able to enjoy people's company. We're able to sing songs that are about you. And we're able to sing them together as a united church. So I just pray, Lord, that whatever words are spoken in this space now, that you will allow what needs to hit our hearts to hit our heart. And that you will allow anything that needs to just go past, allow it to go past. Holy Spirit, illuminate what you need to illuminate so that our lives can become a better reflection of you as we journey to become more like Jesus. In your name and for your glory, amen. Amen. Awesome. You can come sit down front, brother. Get some motivation. Love it. How do we know what to do in our day-to-day life? Or more importantly, how do I personally? How do you know what to do and how do I know what to do with the way that we spend our time? I don't know about you, but I've been given 168 hours each week to live. And I can't have it again unfortunately. So in that 168 hours, I have to fit all of my responsibilities and everything that I am as a person into that time. I have a job, I have a wife, I have kids, I have housing repayments, I have hobbies, I have Netflix, and somehow all of that's got to squish into 168 hours. And at the end of the day, we all pass on from this life at one point or another. And when you and I pass on from this life, I can guarantee you that there will be things that are Uh, left on your to-do list. There will be conversations that you didn't have that you should have had. And there will always be unfulfilled commitments because we never get everything done. Because while we have 168 hours, we have over a million ways that we can spend that 168 hours. And as we come to Christmas, this great time of gift-giving, reflection and celebration, you might find a moment or two where you stop and think because it's a reflective space is what I'm doing with my time, does it matter? Is the way that I'm spending the time that God has given me, am I I doing something which is purposeful? Am I doing something which I think I should actually be doing? Maybe it's amongst family celebration, or this year you might find that you are unable to celebrate with family. Maybe it's with your friends, or maybe this year you might be finding yourself celebrating without some close friendships that might have gone wrong through the year. We start to ask questions. Am I giving the best of me to my family? Am I giving the best of me to my friendships? And we look around and we see all of the happy carols that are being played and the ads on TV that are really just trying to get us to buy more stuff. And there's all these messages from different religious and uh, faith groups. But when we stop and ask, is what I'm doing with my life doesn't matter? That's a question that can weigh on us sometimes. And if you're honest with yourself, and I think you should be honest with yourself, the one person you should really never lie to is yourself, otherwise you'll live a, it'll be a tough life. Um, one of, we should be honest with ourselves and ask ourselves, are we spending our time on what matters and what we find important? And when we come to Christmas, more often than not, this is actually a moment where we reflect on how our time has been spent. We reflect on what we have accomplished through 2020. And I know that 2020 has not gone to plan and that's okay. There's, there's bad stuff there. There's some good stuff there. We enjoy time and energy with people that we have invested time and energy in this year. Some relationships you're spending with this Christmas are because you've invested of yourself this year and you've grown closer and you get to celebrate now in that space. And we look around and we we look around at the impact that our life has had on the lives of the people who we've come into contact with. And if you've spent your time well, it will be a moment of being thankful for the wisdom the patience and the courage it took to know what to let into your life. And maybe there's a little bit of joy there at what you were able to say no to, at what you were able to develop strategies for dealing with. Or maybe you can reflect and say thank you for allowing people to help in certain situations. So this morning I want to have a look at a question that will hopefully set us up for a win going forward as to how to spend our time spend our energy, and I want to say that it is a question that the early Jesus movement asked and that they were known for by the way that they loved because they had this at the front of how they lived their life. So how do we set ourselves up for a win going forward? It's going to sound super cliche, but I do believe that the word is love. That's great, isn't it? Love, such a fluffy feeling, so uh, vague, I guess, and a little bit fluffy, yeah, to be honest. But if we're honest, uh, but if but we should know, sorry, is that love is the actual driving force behind the Christian movement, behind the Jesus movement. Because at the end of the day, Jesus said it himself, uh, and it said about Jesus, that he is love, he is God, God is love. And sometimes we can get a bit like, eh, what does that really mean? Well, today, what I'm going to give you, hopefully, will put that into very clarifying and clear terms about how love can be used in an active way. Because if you want to know what someone means by what they, when they use a word, so when we say God is love, when we say that Jesus is love, when we say that we are a community that loves well, to know what we actually mean, you have to look at the way that we use it and then the way that we treat people. And the problem in the past has been, and you've probably experienced this unfortunately, is that the church has stood forward and said, we are people of love. And then you have experienced something which was unloving. It's one of the reasons that people walk away from church to begin with is not the message of Jesus most of the time. It's the people who represent him in the way that they behave. And maybe as we come to this holiday season, if you're listening online or if you're coming back to church over this holiday season for the first time in a while, you may be a little bit sceptical when I say that love is the uh, the driving force behind this church because you can think back to times where church has been an unloving and unkind or an unpeaceful place. And that's not everyone's experience. Some of you, like myself, we've experienced the greatest of the good of church. But for some of us, We've experienced terrible things. We've experienced things which are unkind, hurtful, and which ultimately reflect badly on Jesus. But he still uses us as broken people to proclaim his message. So you know what someone means by what they do. So if someone says to you that I love you, but then their actions and the way they talk reflects purely on themselves. They probably don't know what it means to love somebody, to give of themselves. They they may not have had an example when they were growing up, or they might have had someone helpful parenting in that space. If someone says that they're trustworthy, and you give them something to hold, maybe it's um, a part of your story. And then suddenly that person who was perceived as trustworthy takes what was given and then tells it over here and before you know it, you've got the church uh, prayer chain praying for you. Yeah? Doesn't matter how many prayers you receive, though it's good to be prayed for, the person who did that was wrong. They shouldn't have shared that. And if someone says that they follow Jesus but they really care more about learning lots or how to prove other people wrong, they may be missing a lot of... Jesus teaching teaching the way that he cares for other people. So what I'm saying is that the way we behave will inform people if what we're saying is true or not. And as a church community, I want us to be a place that says we love people and then we actually step out and love people. Not say that we love people and then sit back and just have a happy Sunday and let the world pass us by. I don't believe we do that here, but it can definitely be something that we, if we don't course correct here and there, we can get pulled back to thinking about ourselves rather than being on mission for Him. So let's have a look at what John, 1 John 3, 16 to 24 says again. My wife read that out before. If you've got your Bible, why don't you turn there? Because we're going to look at why Jesus is love and the question that comes out of it. And this is going to give us the context for it right here. So if you've got your Bibles, I'll give you one second to turn to that. That's 1 John 3, 16 to 24, towards the back of the Bible. Not to be confused with John. There's so many Johns in there. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John more. Anyway, 1 John 3, 16 to 24. Here's what it says. This is how we know what love is. What a great statement to start off with. This is how we know what love is. You want to know what love is? This is how. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. You want to know what love is? Love is Jesus laying down his life for us. And so the response then is, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now we hear that and that is like a way up here statement. All right, so Jesus came to earth, he died, he laid down his life for all of us. And now it says, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's something that like sounds heroic, it sounds taking the mountain, it sounds like big, and then when you think about it, you go, oh, giving my life, hmm, would be great in a movie, but for me, giving my life, that's a big ask. So I feel the author sort of, Brings it down a little bit here in this next part. If anyone, in this next part, if anyone has material possessions, all right, material possessions. I'd have to lay down my life if I have to, sure. Material possessions, okay, I've got some of them. What are we saying about that? If someone has a material possession and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? How can the love of God be in that person? So if anyone has more than they need and they see someone who is in need, and and their heart is not moved to do something about that, then how can the love of God be in them? How can you have more than you need and look at someone else who doesn't have as much and think, well, I've earned what I've got. They should earn what they've got. Or I have what I have, but maybe they have what they have for a reason. And the author is saying here, how can the love of God be in that person? Their heart needs to be broken for the other person that has... Not enough. So, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And that right there, that last part, I think that is the, the movement part. How do we know what love is? Jesus gave his life for us. What are we doing in response to that? We should give our lives. That's a big ask. All right, well, if you need to, do that. But also, if you have material possessions and see someone in need, then you should be moved to help, help meet that need. And that movement thing is, let us not love with words and speech, but let us love with action and in truth. So love cannot be something which is a feeling. It has to be something which is eventually mobilized into action. The passage goes on. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and we set our hearts at rest in His presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and He knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask because we keep His commands and do what pleases Him. And this is the part I want to highlight this next bit. And this is His command. So what's His command? To believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. So we believe as a church that coming to faith is is recognizing that Jesus is who He said He was and that He died and rose again and that we can have a relationship with God through Him. All right, that's the first part, believe in the name of Jesus Christ. And that second part, love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit that he gave us. And this is where the early church absolutely thrived. They were a bunch of broken people who were amazed at the story of a resurrected saviour, of a resurrected person, of a resurrected Jesus. And they were driven to use love as the foundation of how they behaved. They didn't use the law, obedience or fear, they used love. Law convicts us, obedience needs to be based in something and fear will always restrict us. But love frees us. Love gives us hope a future and something to frame our God-given worldview with. These people knew what love looked like because they experienced it from other people. And these people who came and showed love in an absolutely sacrificial way, they were going around saying, the reason I'm so loving to you is not because I'm a good person, but because I have an example of a Jesus who died for me. How do we know what love is? Jesus Christ laid down his life. How did the early church thrive? People who knew this and heard this story and lived this experience went out and gave of themselves sacrificially. They loved other people intensely. Not because they were awesome, but because they had an example by which to follow. Because love became defined by how Jesus lived his life. And what did Jesus do? Fed the hungry, healed the sick, confronted oppression, stood up for the accused. And at the end of the day, he died for all humanity. And this love of Jesus is seen when people ask a very simple question, and this is all it is. And I warn you, once I tell you what the question is, it brings clarity because lots of us prefer not to answer it honestly, because I don't know about you, and you may be just the most amazing, faith-filled people who have figured out all your baggage, in which case I stand preaching to myself. But a lot of the time, when I answer this question, I know what I should do, but then part of me goes, but I don't wanna. I wanna look after myself. All right, here's the question. What does love require of me? What does love require of me? The reason I love this question, and I've stolen it, it's not mine, but I love this question, what does love require of me? Because it cuts through any of the justifications that we can put in place. Because the question you and I tend to answer is, How does this benefit me? We're people of comfort. You're sitting on comfy seats. We have air-cons on. We have lights so you can see. We try to make a comfortable environment. We're people of comfort. At home, you've arranged your house so that it meets the needs that you have so that you can live in a comfortable way. We try to avoid pain. We're people of comfort. So when we're put into a situation where we need to act Our instinct, and we see this in Genesis, our instinct is to, well, what's in it for me? How does this help me? And when we ask the question, what does love require of me? That's a tough one. Because it probably means you're going to have to have a conversation you don't want to have. It probably means you're going to have to give away something that you like. It probably means you're going to have to embarrass yourself in a public setting. It probably means that you're going to have to step out and lead in a way that otherwise you would have just sat back and let everything happen. What does love require of me? Maybe this Christmas you're sitting around the table and a loved one drops a snarky comment again. And you need to be the one to stand up and say, nah. What does love require of me? Maybe this Christmas everyone's giving out gifts and you notice that someone has been a little bit too generous to someone and not to somebody else and you need to stand up and say, come on now. I know why you're doing that. Don't do that. Maybe this Christmas, what does love require of me? Maybe you have excess left over and instead of what you would normally do, which is just put it in the shed, maybe you need to go and give it to an op shop or maybe there's someone in your community that you need to go and give it to. What does love require of me? Maybe it means uh, you actually need to be the person to... Step out and say, this Christmas, before we get into the gifts and thinking about ourselves, how about we share something we're thankful for? Maybe you need to be the one in your family to stand up and say, I know it can be about us, but how can we make this about hearing and understanding each other better? And if you're in a Christian context, maybe you need to be standing up and saying, let's actually think about Jesus right now. And the fact that 2,000 years ago, God entered humanity in the baby. And it's great to receive gifts, but maybe we just need to take a moment to reflect on the ultimate gift that we've been given in Jesus. Because when you come to a situation where you don't know what to do, where you don't know how to spend your time, when you're wondering how to use the resource that you have been given, when we ask, well, how does it benefit me? We're going to make decisions from a place of going, how do I benefit? So the outcome will always in some way help us. But when you come to a situation that demands you to answer how to spend your time, how to spend your energy, how to spend your resource, and you ask, what does love require of me? And the standard of love is Jesus. The answer might be a little bit different. But the only problem with this question, and it's one fatal flaw, is that when you ask it and you get an answer, you have to actually do it. That's the hard part. It's great to read about Jesus in the Bible. It's great to learn facts and things about him. I love that. I'm an intellectual person. I relate to him intellectually. I love hearing about um, the way that all the authors fit together in certain ways, where the differences are, how the stories interact and everything. But then when I ask, well, God, what do you want me to do in my life? Normally, it's having a conversation I don't want to have. It's confronting something I don't want to confront in myself. It's giving away something that I really would have preferred for myself. It's doing something, but once I've done it, it's changed something. Because my perspective has shifted from how do I benefit from this thing and it's gone to how can God be glorified through this thing? And when that shift happens, you start to see some things in your life that you didn't notice before. You start to see the good that you can do. You start to see the way that we can participate in God's unfolding of love into our community And into our world. But when we ask the question, what does love require of me? Lord, what do you want me to do here? When he gives us an answer, when we have an answer, we have to actually do it. Because if it's going to live up here and it's never going to get to our hands and get out into the world, it's wasted. It's absolutely wasted. If we store everything that we know about God and everything up here, but the love is not done through action and deed, it's wasted. doesn't mean up here doesn't happen. It just means that if it never translates from here to your heart and out through your hands, it might just be a missed opportunity. So as we close out, I want you to think about the practicality of this question. So if the standard of love is Jesus dying for us, If the followers of Jesus showed sacrificial love because they knew that he commanded us to live, and not just did Jesus say, go and live in love, he was out there feeding the hungry, standing up to the press. We look at the words of Jesus that we have from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we see a Jesus who didn't just say, do it. He was someone who was out there doing it. And so the faith and the courage that we take is that we have someone who is an example who went before us. And then we have people who go ahead of us in the faith now, who show us what love looks like in this Australian context now. And for some of us in the room, the reason we're in this room is because other people in this room have gone ahead of us and shown us what love looks like. And for those of you who are listening online, the reason that you're listening online is because other people you know have gone ahead and have in faith shown you what love looks like but now the really practical part. So that's practical in itself, but now I want us to dream about how practical it could be if we applied it to our lives. Could you imagine how different our lives would be if we applied this question and acted on it? What would you need to confront in your own behaviour, your own actions? What would you need to change about how you live to answer this question and act on it well? Could you imagine if other people ask this question and act on it as well. Because if we as a church stand forward and say, we're going to not only say that we are love, but we're going to step up and show love. And at the moment, I would say as a church, I believe that we do. I see it in the food pantry, the way that we're involved in our local community through our midweek ministries. They're not just places for us to have a bit of fun and enjoy ourselves. They're also opportunities and touch points to connect with people's lives. The conversations that Karen and I have had and leaders in our ministries have had are not just great, how's your week going? There have been moments where we've we've been able to be let into some spaces where we've been able to just be there with people. And even though they're going through a hard time and though we cannot fix it, We're able to just be there and say, I'm sorry about that. And we're able to be love in that situation and offer help and ask if they need prayer. And one of the biggest joys I have is when I get to pray with people who have no faith yet. It's so cool because they love being being prayed for. And for me, I just look at that and I go, it's just so great to get to pray with those sort of people and just say, God, be with them. So we're not just a church that's going to say, we want to see love be something. We want to be a church that is out there saying, and this is how you do it. Because it doesn't matter how someone describes something to you, until you see it for yourself, it's, it's hard to capture the full beauty of it. People travel, right? Locally, WA? Yeah, right? Nature's window. I'm sure we've all been in Cowbarry now. Everyone been in Cowberry? Yep, 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 yep. I see that hand. is beautiful. Love it. Haven't been there for a few years. Went there many times uh, when my family used to do holidaying when I was younger. Nature's window is something that still makes me go, oh, that is a beautiful thing of creation. It's a rock which you look through. That's what it is. I could try and describe that to you better than that. The beautiful brown, the offset shades of blah, blah, blah. I'm not, I'm not an artistic person. I, would do a, I could try and draw it for you. <laughs> that would be, a, be something. Until you see it, you're not going to capture the full beauty of it. So I can stand up here and say, We need to love people. That looks great. That sounds great, sorry. But what does it look like? So, as a church and as a congregation, we need to be people who don't just say, Love others. We need to be people who say, And this is how. By the way, we use our time, by the way, we use our money, by the way, we have tough conversations with family by the way we embrace awkwardness and be love, even though sometimes it hurts. But could you imagine if that was the way people operated? I can guarantee you right now that there is a lot of pain in our world because in the past, when someone could have made a decision to make a loving action, they did something which was self-centered and thought only of themselves. And because of those sort of decisions that happen every single day, our world has so much pain in it. Because people want to make themselves feel better and don't want to look out for the interest of others. The reason sin is so bad is because it hurts someone for who Christ died for. The reason sin is so ugly to God and our brokenness can be so ugly to God is because it hurts someone for whom Jesus bled on a cross for. Jesus died for everyone. And when we act in a way which is unkind, which is self-centered and which hurts somebody else, we are hurting someone for whom Jesus died. And your story and my story would be so different if a person chose the loving thing, not the self-gratifying thing.